0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Faith Element, a service of Faith Lab. Faith Element is an innovative online Bible study curriculum designed to encourage real, relevant conversation in groups. Faith Element offers a video and podcast each week to help groups dig into the text. It also offers six styles of teaching, including media, which links to video clips and music, mystic, contemplative approach, current, drawing from current events, and youth, a more active approach for teens, Check out Faith Element free for 30 days using the code CBF2007 and breathe a new energy into your group's Bible study. Learn more and get started at faithelement.net. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Church Starts Conversation. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship, and interviews of people doing groundbreaking work of partnering together in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from church starters, pastors, and practitioners. This is Andy Hale. Today's podcast will feature Josh James, one of the two dynamic duo pastors of the Restoration Project in Salisbury, Maryland. Josh James and Doug McKinney were commissioned in 2015. I just want to share with you one opportunity before we hop into today's podcast. Over the last couple episodes, we've been talking to you about our online discernment cohort. Uh, It's really designed for individual church starters to work through a call with 8 to 12 other people who are also discerning a call. We also have another group discernment process called innovation groups. Innovation groups are gathering of people, forming together to discover something new, maybe a new church start, a missional community. So consider, is there a dream emerging through you for the kingdom of God? Would you like to form together with others who are also seeking a new way of being the church? This group discernment process is centered around eight different conversations. The topics vary from contextualization to understanding the dream coming through you to understanding why you are actually in this process in the first place. We also offer four professional coaching sessions for anybody who's leading the innovation group. This course is a free resource through CBF. So if you'd like to receive more information, visit cbfchurchstarts.net or you can also email me at ahale I don't know why they didn't do that. Yeah. That's a good question. That's definitely not a good place for us to start this. <laughs> okay. Subconsciously, consciously, almost.
1: were you like kind of wishing that you had pressed record a while ago? Because we just got some pretty good.
0: I actually already did.
1: <laughs> but that's not making the podcast. Good I mean that's that's what the people want. You know they want to hear about naked Coast Guard uh, rescue divers.
0: <laughs> what a great day in training that would be. All right today we should get properly stripped down and save someone. <laughs> All right that is a that's a good place to start knowing that nobody knows the backstory of the conversation. <laughs> And just in case I maybe get called into question over this, we were talking about somebody dying from hypothermia and they could have been saved if they had properly allowed the rescue workers to strip down to warm them up because body heat warms you up faster than a blanket. So, hey, welcome, Josh. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I don't, you know, I really don't want to speak into anything too contentious, but, you know, the last. Last time we were on, um, our gentle giant Douglas was on, you know, is everything okay with the restoration project Our our co-pastor model here? Um, or just, is he just too good to be on the podcast with us today?
1: Is this, I can't tell if this is real or if this is fake, but is this the type of banter that you're wanting people to know about?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Is there something we do need to talk about there? No,
1: I have a, an apartment. No, I don't have an apartment. We got we got to start this over right now. I'm look. I'm literally sitting in the window, and I just got sidetracked because I recognized someone walking down the plaza.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, that's just what money buys you. The the guests they give you all the attention. Yes, it's true. So, how is Doug? Though he isn't able to join us today.
1: Uh, Doug's doing well. I am up in our fifth floor small office space and Doug actually works down on the first floor at the bank. So we are in the same building, uh, but he's unable to come up here to the fifth floor and enter into the call because he is quite busy doing his banking
0: stuff. Just a, just a busy, busy bank roller. That's all he is. Four stories to separate y'all. Now, is that a penthouse suite you all have in the office?
1: (laughs) Nope. It's It's the fifth floor out of seven.
0: Wow.
1: Uh, and the seventh floor is reserved for all of the swanky lawyers, so this is just the the lowly church
0: starting floor here well, I'm glad to hear that Salisbury has a seven story building i'm not sure Clayton goes beyond three stories. yeah, it might be the
1: it might be the tallest building in town now that I think about it i'm not sure if that's the case, but I can't think of any others that would rival it
0: well, I'm not really surprised. Really at all, because that kind of fits into y'all's mega church model of being in the tallest building of town to overlook overlook the city you hope to overcome with multi satellite churches everywhere it's so right yeah we, we
1: appreciate that approach to ministry and we're just trying to be strategic as to where we're going
0: to place our next satellite campus <laughs> um, so what's the latest with the restoration project
1: um Kind of business, as usual, I think our um, calendar year syncs up with the college um, we meet on Sunday evenings on the campus of Salisbury University. There's a massive United Methodist Church that has been there for i don't know over a hundred years, and they graciously allow us to rent their space for pretty cheap and we have a Sunday evening service, so when school is in session. We'll have a handful of students that will walk over from their dorms or what have you and join us. And then, you know, during Christmas break and summer break, it, it looks a bit different. So we're kind of right in the middle of spring semester. Um, sports have begun. Well, I guess basketball is coming to a close and softball and baseball are starting to kick off. Uh, so students have some obligations and things, but we're right in the middle of them being with us. So it's a good, it's a good time of year.
0: A uh, rumor has it that United Methodist Church has a a killer puppet ministry. Is that true?
1: That is very true. And on Sunday, I actually took a picture of this and haven't haven't posted it yet. But sometimes when you walk into the, the sanctuary, they have a a big like screen and it says puppets for Christ on the front like in felt. And you know, I kind of get a little bit disappointed when I see it because that means we have to take it into the hallway or get it out of the space. Although we're trying to incorporate it in some meaningful way into our service at some point. But for some reason, I forgot as I was walking in that it was there. And as I like turned the corner, all I saw were like these little legs laying on the floor (laughs) for a second. I thought there was like children laying on the ground to frighten me, but it ended up only being puppets which was equally as terrifying (laughs) they had they had four puppets i'll go ahead and give you the the lowdown on this they had four puppets one was wearing what appeared to be a gap sweatshirt although it said god answers prayer another girl had on a sweatshirt that said i love sunday school and then there was this satan figure that was red with the mischievous goatee and horns so you know reinstilling stereotypes to the best of their abilities.
0: I'm just disappointed you all haven't carried that ministry into the 21st century.
1: Well, we did um, place the puppets on the very front row, and they were, um, you know, present with us (laughs) during, during the service, and I did call attention to them at one point. Also, we do weekly communion, so when people come up the front aisle, they'll get their bread and... Uh, juice and then they'll turn the corner and they all had to walk by this whole row of pubs, <laughs> which <laughs> I don't know if that enhanced the moment. Uh, certainly, um, you know, increased the mystery of the moment, <laughs> maybe not in the most uh, honoring of of ways, who knows. But yeah, you're right to, to hear about this puppet ministry. We just haven't
0: incorporated it quite yet. I think it'd be awesome if, as each person comes to receive communion and they turn to go up the aisle, they either give a, a tip of their cap, a salute or a curtsy yeah. to each of those puppets, uh, before they proceed to the back. Um, that's just, we'll just leave that right there. Um, so uh, we were having a conversation recently, um, because obviously we're in a somewhat of a, a tumultuous time politically speaking right now. It seems like, um, it seems like many churches are divided, um, over political matters. Uh, the country certainly is, um, getting, I think in that direction just as far as uh, the rhetoric and, um, just ascension. And, uh, I think as we were talking about it, it has created a very difficult place for, for ministers to, um, to step into those areas. Um, I don't know where to begin with that. Um, wh- what are your, some of your thoughts on, on on the current climate of the church and politics?
1: Yeah. Um, I feel like the learning curve is really high for ministers right now, especially if we adopt the approach that the church is supposed to be non-political or not to take sides on certain things. Um, and some stuff has just been difficult to know how and when and where to engage what seem to be not simply political issues, but also seem to be Jesus issues. Uh, and for a church, much like yours, that tries to incorporate and encourage theological diversity, along with that comes political diversity. As you know, people uh, that come to the Restoration Project have voted in many different ways over this election and other elections as well. Um, but we have people that are very well ingrained on the left side of the aisle and we have people that are very well ingrained on the right side of the aisle and seeing how those different groups of people have navigated, um, the different ideological commitments that they have and the different theological commitments that are showing themselves in this time, man, that's been really difficult. And I think one of the most, um, One of the easiest ways to see that is through social media and the potential divisiveness that can take place there. I've had conversations with numerous people, um, members and just regular attenders, where it's almost like somebody will share something and then whoever likes that share becomes, in their mind, The enemy or the people that are against their political viewpoints or their theological viewpoints and vice versa It's not just conservative people being ticked off by liberal people But liberal people being ticked off by conservative people. We just kind of are drawing really deep lines in the sand Amongst our own people and it's been difficult to try to address that in a way that's healthy and helpful but I will say uh, that in some of those difficulties where I get a phone call from someone who is a bit frustrated with what's going on and how you know X person in the community has been sharing this or liking that or writing this um, when when I see those two people actually engage one another in conversation, it goes from black and white to this beautiful area of gray where they find so much common ground between them and sometimes i think we forget that common ground and what we as christians are attempting to do and how we're striving to reach people and we just kind of revert back to our um, polarized viewpoints and seeing people as as the enemy which is really not helpful but also somewhat understandable uh, and ultimately difficult to navigate
0: yeah, um had the privilege of writing um, a couple articles. I actually just realized I, I said it was going to be a three-part article, and I've only written two parts of it, uh, just around tribalism, that um, our culture is becoming increasingly tribal, that um, we want to gather around us only people who think and see and act in the world in the same way that we do. And uh, the church um, is not innocent of that same type of mentality as well. Um, We want to gather around people who think theologically um, and in many regards think politically the same way we do and to which we try to somehow translate our politics into our theology versus the other way around. Um, And and so it's it's becoming a challenge because um, the greater greater cultural narrative is saying, hey, look, just gather to people who are the same as you, you know, watch this news outlet that is the same thing that you view, you know, uh, dis- dislike or unlike or unfollow people who don't have the same perspectives of you. And right. it's creating a very, just a very toxic communal environment. Um, and it's a slow process. It's not like a, some sort of gaping wound that we're seeing. It's just slowly, slowly separating um, individuals who see the world differently. And it does become a challenge to have some sort of theological and I guess the underpinnings of that political diversity within a community because the greater culture says, no, it, don't do that. It, it makes more sense to just be with people uh, people like you. Um, so I yeah. think it puts pastors in a very difficult place. It, it's put us in a place where um, you almost feel like you are a referee uh, you know, contending between two sides. And um, I don't know if you felt the pressure of this, but certainly when you speak about issues of injustice, and even when you feel convicted to speak from, a, from specifically a biblical perspective, um, people are so politically charged that they, they want to go at you or they want to leave your church because they think you're getting political. How, how have you been able to manage that?
1: I don't know if I've been managing it well. Um, I certainly try to address what I believe are the relevant issues uh, going on, particularly since November. I hope that's not an overly political statement, just to identify that. But man, I've seen such a a shift in uh, the landscape of our country, and on a smaller scale, like what's going on in our in our town. Where, gosh, I mean, I've never, I've personally have never seen. Things quite this divisive, and I know that you know history is cyclical, so you probably have had moments when people are equally divided. But in my lifetime, this has been one of the toughest to navigate. And I'll tell you, the, the most difficult thing for me is to not feel like I have to censor myself. Because when you are pastoring a theologically diverse community, part of your job is to um, allow different groups to. To coexist together, but I obviously have my own personal leanings and commitments, both theological and political, and and when I I found that sometimes when I speak those things into existence or people hear my own commitments for the first time or phrased in a way that they haven't heard before, they have felt isolated and felt as though they don't have a community anymore. So even within our um, Our church, one of the constant conversations that we've been having with people over the last couple months is um, a group of people, whether they be conservative or liberal, will say, I don't know if I feel that this is my home anymore because I feel that there's people that are disagreeing with my stance or even worse than that, like belittling my, my stance or my views. And so, yeah, referee is a good word, but I hate that because I don't want to stay neutral and um, not be able to speak myself. So personally, I've been trying to navigate what it looks like for me to be even a member of our theologically diverse community and learning how to make my thoughts or my commitments warranted within our group of people without isolating and ostracizing folks that might not see things the way that I do. And I will say that's much easier to do with theological opinions than it is with political opinions. Um, It's easy to talk about like creation views or what you do with the book of Jonah and, you know, allow people to coexist. But when you start talking about politics and how you're voting, it seems like those lines are drawn even thicker in the sand. So it's been difficult.
0: Yeah. And I feel pretty confident in this because I know that um, I've had a tendency to do this in my lifetime as well, that uh, we only become charged with people that don't see eye to eye with us. So, you know, people will flock themselves to a particular congregation or minister or group of people that view the world the same way that they do. And it's when you're speaking to an alternative perspective perspective that um, is not in line with what they're thinking that that's when people start to get angry that's when people start to throw out the lines of you know separation church and state that's when people want you to kind of veer away from politics in the pulpit um, which I think makes it even more difficult for us as as ministers um, because uh, I'm not trying to sound like prophetic here but some of the issues that uh, Americans are facing right now um, have roots in injustice that have been taking place ever since Scripture was you know, beginning to be written down in this narrative, um, reaching all the way back to the Old Testament. And so it's so easy for us to find biblical implications for things that are happening right now. But it's a wonder if our congregations want us to be speaking on those things, or they maybe just want us to dabble in it just a little bit um, because church might be a place to escape on Sunday morning from, I guess, the chaos that's happening during the week. And chaos is a strong word. um, But for those that are dealing with injustice, it does feel like chaos.
1: Right. Yeah, it's funny that you even say, I don't mean to be prophetic here, when, you know, the job, as I understand it, uh, or one of the callings of the pastoral office is to actually be prophetic and to be able to call stuff out. But as my uh, one of my advisors used to say, it's tough being a prophet on the payroll because you do kind of have to um, alleviate the concerns of diametrically opposed peoples within your within your congregation. And whenever you speak prophetically about an issue, you're going to potentially— isolate some folks.
0: Yeah, uh, well, I guess that's part of being a professional minister, right? That at the end of the day, we all have families, we have uh, a mortgage and a car payment and health insurance and those types of things. And um, it it becomes a challenge because uh, congregations, uh, not all congregations, but many congregations have put ministers in a place where when you do start to become a prophet, if you will, um, the threat of job loss is right there. And and so I think that's why many ministers um, have been able to skirt issues, have been able to maybe draw back into the easy black and white and not the gray because um, that's the easier thing to do. Um, but yet we look at some of our forebears who dealing with uh, tremendous injustice. I mean, we don't have to go that far back to, um, to look at the civil rights movement and even the way that um, white ministers were ostracized in the South for speaking out against the injustice that was happening around them, um, right. you know they did that as prophets and they do they did that out of a calling and out of faith and out of uh, a willingness to to say and to speak into those areas, even if it meant their families um, would have to move and they would lose their jobs and you know, so I think that's another element that adds to this conversation as well. How how prophetic are we willing to be?
1: Yeah, I, I do think as a church starter that, and I don't know if you would agree with this, but I feel a bit more freedom to speak on things that I might if I was the pastor of a traditional church with uh, a bigger membership role and you know people that have been with us for more than four years you know i mean our our lifespan as a church has been incredibly short compared to uh to other communities where you might feel that you um would be really stepping on eggshells to address something so i mean that is a, a plus but you know as i mentioned throughout it just seems like people are so on edge um and those conversations are still incredibly difficult to have but i've f- this might be a bad way of phrasing it, but I feel like there's a little bit less for us to lose um, because of the newness of our community. Like we're still shaping our own identity in a sense. And I know I'm still finding myself as a as a pastor. I mean, this is pretty young. Um, and those moments that you, you talked about have already come up where you say that people want to be with folks that agree with them uh, until they don't. The painful thing about that is sometimes when you say think, say something, whether it's political in nature or uh, you know interpretation of the Bible that they don't necessarily agree with, then those people might come back and say, you've lied to me or you've tricked me or you were cultivating this relationship with me and now you say this and that's incredibly hurtful to me. And I have never known what to do with that. I had one uh, friend uh another minister who we were talking about some theological stuff and it seemed like the sense was i needed to be more forthright with visitors about my views on you know x doctrine whatever it is let's just say it's creation so this person wants me to be forthright about that but i have no idea what that even looks like i think it would be so weird to introduce myself as Hi, I'm Josh, and I believe this about Genesis 1 through 3. I mean, when, when is the right time to have those conversations, and how forthright are you supposed to be, and how are people not going to feel tricked when some of your theology or your political um, commitments start leaking out? I've never known what to do with that, and I, I don't know what you know ministers in more traditional settings do with that either.
0: Well, I think you're hitting on something that maybe gets to the heart of the matter, and that it comes down to community uh, and how people view the church community. You know, so that's why uh, it's easy to go to a a large church and to blend in and to uh, be very tribal in what the church believes and what you believe. It's equally easy to find a church, small church community, to do the same thing. Um, But I think, I think maybe the answer to how you come around these difficult theological slash political matters is that investment in community. Um, You know, it's, it's like family, you know, in my view, that's what the church is. It's, it's designed to be this very messy and beautiful space um, where we both encourage each other. And there's going to be times that we really, really hurt each other's feelings and disagree on things. And depending on people's family systems um, is whether or not they're willing to invest in that family invest in that community, because the yeah. easiest thing to do is to pack up and leave um, to find somebody who agrees with you. The difficult thing to do is to sit there and to, to work through it, to have those difficult theological conversations, to really dig down deep to what those political, um, you know, what the foundation is behind that political belief that someone stands in. Yeah. Um so and I know that you know TRP is is a very relational based model. Uh, you spend a good bit of your time meeting with people one on one, investing in people's lives, and so um, you know you have the benefit of that. Um, but then also I, knowing your story, and um, I think I think what you have dealt with in some cases is when people want to leave because you know. Josh has this view of the Bible or Josh seems to be pushing this political agenda. Maybe those are people that haven't invested in you as a minister, that haven't invested in that congregation as a whole. Um, well,
1: I, I, this is just my own personal story. Um, but I, I think I, I almost feel like it's somewhat rare for people to leave for those issues. More often, it's people outside of our community, telling people within our community what our political or theological views are, and most of the time inaccurately or without ever having conversations with me. So, I mean, I I hear more about my own theology secondhand or thirdhand from folks. I just had a conversation with someone yesterday who was saying, uh, yeah, you know, I was was talking to somebody and they had— you know, such and such to say about stuff. And I mean, granted, we try to do things that are a bit unorthodox for our, uh, for our context. Like Salisbury is a pretty rural, I mean, there's, there's farms all over the place. Um, It's fairly conservative politically uh, and churches are fairly conservative as well. So this past weekend we had, our first Beer and Hymns, which is something that we've wanted to do for a while. Uh, And you'd be surprised how many people ask questions about that uh, when it seems pretty self-explanatory. Like, what what are are you going to be doing at Beer and Hymns? Well, we're going to drink some beer and sing some hymns. (laughs) Uh, But this... This person I was talking to said that, you know, the person that she was having a conversation with had real struggles and issues with that. But I don't believe that this is a person that even necessarily knows who, who I am. And it's certainly not somebody that I had a conversation with about this event or our intent behind it or our, you know, our hopes for the future because of it. So... Yeah, you're right. Our family unit or our community is usually one that's built on trust and continued conversations with people. And I do have a lot of folks from our community that will have questions and we have really great conversations. Uh, one one example that certainly borders on the political, uh, we have recently started a church blog. Uh, I felt that it would be a way where I could get out some more sermon type ideas or things that didn't necessarily fit in a in a sunday sermon i'm a huge nerd so i like thinking about biblical minutiae and if there's anybody else in the world that wanted to see that or hear that uh, i would write some stuff or you know we wrote a post on beer and hymns and why we were doing it and that kind of stuff but we also around the time of the women's march um one of our leaders wanted to attend uh she's a healthcare professional she's a midwife um, so pretty well-versed in women's health and a lot of issues that are going on that completely surpass my own knowledge base on you know, things like health care and, um, and that kind of stuff. But anyway, she goes to the march, and I thought it would be a good idea for her to write up a summary of her thoughts and why she was there. Uh, so she did that, and when that was posted on the blog, it became quite an ordeal from some of our – and I don't mean this – pejoratively, but some of our more conservative people, uh, some folks that came back very quickly and said, hey, why are we entering into this political forum here? Why are we posting stuff on our own church website that seems to be a blanket uh, affirmation of all of the goings on and all of the issues that were represented at the Women's March? Um, But what happened from that was, and this is sometimes super excited about, the people within our community started calling and they were talking to me and it was not only civil i would say it was it was like christ honoring the conversations that we were able to have and i could hear them and they could hear me and the conversations that were had with uh the young woman who wrote the blog it was like we actually were living out these principles where if we had a problem we would go talk to one another and that's like what you're saying that's how a good family dynamic Works. But I also know the sad truth is that there's people who don't know us and who don't have those relationships with us yet or might not ever that aren't so willing to have those conversations. So they draw their own conclusions and then begin to uh, share uh, an alternative narrative. Um, And that's frustrating to me because we're all on the same team, yet it seems as though churches are pretty intent on sniping out other churches that think differently or you know process their faith differently or read scripture differently or are okay to have a really nice craft beer while they're singing how great thou art like that kind of stuff seems to be the dividing the dividing line so within the community it works but like there's just these other things outside of the community where it's made it so difficult for relationships to be to be built, I guess.
0: I think the most ironic thing about any other congregation or person who is a, a lover of hymns to speak out about that is that three quarters of the hymns in the Baptist hymnal were actually uh, beer songs that were the hymns yeah, right. were put to, or they were actually written <laughs> in some sort of pub. So it's it's always funny to <laughs> to think about that. But, well, I, I mean, if you think about it. Um,
1: Beer has a, a pretty strong religious history, even if just going back to the monastic tradition. I I think Lent is it's a new tradition for for me and my family, and it's one that we haven't necessarily uh, engaged in well yet. Uh, we're actually doing our first Ash Wednesday service tomorrow as a as a church community. One of the things that was taught to me within the last few years was within the monastic tradition they would drink belgian doubles all throughout lent and then you know at their resurrection service they would feast and have a belgian triple you know i just feel like that's that's pretty cool um <laughs> and it's 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 very far afield from how american evangelical christianity has has understood the bible and has you know, acted, acted that out. I mean, I grew up in a home that was very much, don't even think about drinking alcohol. I was, I was 30 years old and I got a job at a brewery doing dumb stuff, making boxes, sweeping the floors. I gave some tours on the weekends and my mom, uh, cried like literal tears when she found out that I was working at the brewery because she was scared that I would turn into like some kind of a crazy person. So, I mean, there's obviously within this area, and I mean, you being from North Carolina, I imagine you can sympathize with some of this. There's a an undercurrent of religiosity that has made these edicts on what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And if you, you know, diverge from those, then you're not a follower of Jesus, or you're not someone that we want to be in ministry with together. And
0: I that just, might be the root of of all of a lot of this is that uh, we all have in our minds uh, kind of like an archetype of of what it means to be a follower of Christ in in the context of America and America is becoming increasingly diverse and yeah. and so we must ab- embrace the diversity of um, you know the basic principles that make us all followers of Christ uh, that basic day-to-day journey but celebrate the diversity um and embrace that diversity that comes with different contexts um and i think i think the thing that gives me courage encouragement about all this and courage i guess is that this isn't anything new i mean we wouldn't have three quarters of the new testament if there weren't people in contention with one another over theological and political issues um you know, to think that the early church was divided over the Gentiles and, and then, you know, what Paul was doing with his ministry and then to face all the issues that Paul dealt with in all the different churches. Uh, yeah. So it, it gives me encouragement to know that this isn't anything new, um, but it also challenges me to consider uh, what to do with all this. You know, it still never ceases to amaze me that one of the prayers of Christ just hours before he's arrested and crucified is a prayer for, for unity, um, for his followers. Um, that's prophetic, you know, that, and how selfless to know that we would take something so beautiful and to make a mess of it, you know, and to pray for, pray for unity in that. So that gives me hope. It gives me encouragement and also challenges me. Yeah. Well, this has been fun.
1: Yeah. It's always good. Uh, look out the window of my fifth floor office building and think about ridiculously difficult things that make ministry both um, super frustrating at times, but also and you, you can probably identify with this like some of those conversations that are worked in in the midst of, of the mess and uh, you know the accusations and the misunderstandings, some of those conversations that you have with the most surprising of people, just leave you feeling so inspired and it's almost like this is this is exactly why we're doing what we're doing just this little breadcrumb of of grace that we get to see in the lives of people and it you know gives me hope to um see that come to fruition in, in the lives of others too so
0: mm.
1: it's good to think about those things
0: yeah and people uh, you're making an impact um we're all making an impact whether we see it or not and feel that frustration each day um you know i received just a, a note of encouragement this morning from somebody who's not even a member of us in the same town and um basically the note said i greatly admire and respect your ministry and what your church stands for and this person has never been to mosaic they've never um partnered with us in any sort of way um So know that you are doing good work and know that uh, all of our church are doing good work and all of our pastors and clergy across the fellowship are doing good work Um, to take, take encouragement from that, that um, we're not always going to see the fruition of our work, but it matters what we do each day.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that.
0: Thanks again for joining us today. Thanks again to Faith Lab for sponsoring today's episode. You can find more information about them at faithelement.net. You can find more information about CBF and CBF Church Start initiatives at cbf.net backslash churchstarts. We also have our Church Starts writing stories each and every week to tell you about innovative work they are doing, lessons learned from Church Start. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, CBF Church Starts.